Nyquist with it. Sharks with numbers. Here comes Meyer down the right side. Kilo Meyer with a shot. That did not make it through. Now Nyquist drops it off. Score! Eric Carlson wins it for the Sharks in overtime. They lead the series two games to one. I think the Blues are arguing that this was a hand pass. They're going to talk it over. That's what Bennington was, and I thought it was initially when I saw it. It is Season 9, Episode 10 of the Sportscasters. I'm the host, Steve Bennett. Getting this bad boy up on a Saturday night. I wanted to get it up yesterday, on Friday, and uh, I ran out of time, but I'm going to get it up today. Before I get to today's episode, I wanted to thank everyone who helped out with the relaunch last week. Uh, four great guests, Adnan Verk and Greg Wyshynski, were on Season 9, Episode 8. And Joe Buck and Damon Hack were on Season 9, Episode 9. I want to thank all four guys for being on the show. Adnan Verk is a promotion monster. Uh, retweets like crazy. Lots of new followers. Thanks to Adnan. I uh, really appreciate everything he did last week, including recording his interview twice because I lost the first one like a moron. Uh, so really big thanks to Adnan and to Joe and Damon and Greg. Whew. Relaunch. Also, thanks to Jeff Perlman who had me on the quads last week. JeffPerlman.com. You can go there and find my quads. It was really great. Of Jeff to have me do that. Had a lot of fun and got a great response from that. Um, this week, new episode in a minute. We're going to get started. We're going to start with a interview with Mike Shope from WGR 550 in Buffalo. And then we're going to follow that up with an interview with Freddie Coleman from ESPN Radio. And my idea was that I pitched to them. What is it like hosting a sports radio show on Terrestrial Radio? In the age of the podcast and all this extra content and on demand and all the different ways people can consume sports media, is the sports radio show still relevant and how and what do they do to uh, differentiate their shows from others and both turned out great. Now, I'm going to start with Mike Shope because in the beginning of the interview, we did steal five or ten minutes to talk about the Sabres hiring a coach. Uh, so we'll do that. Right away, and then it's radio talk the rest of the way through. And also, Mike, at the end of his interview, brings up the fact that in 2005, he was going after the same job that Freddie Coleman was going on. Uh, so then we start the Freddie Coleman interview with that with his side of that story, which is really cool uh, to hear both sides of that. So that's the agenda today. We're also going to do a book club. We're going to throw one book in the garbage and uh, introduce a new book. And then we're going to do one last thing where I'm going to rant about how Game of Thrones makes me feel stupid. Uh, let's get started. There's no reason to kind of drag this out. We'll take a break and we'll be right back with Mike Shope. All right, our first guest today, once selected Hotel California as his first pick in a song draft, and he hosts the Afternoon Drive show on WGR 550 with the Bulldog. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Mike Shope. How's it going, Mike? What's going on, man? Steve, it's good to be back with you. How long has it been? Uh, too long. Maybe a year, maybe? I don't maybe. know. Mm-hmm. Too long, but too long. Uh, we always have these like really cool talks about radio so i thought of you when i had this idea where i wanted to kind of do a podcast about what it's like to host sports radio shows on terrestrial radio with all this extra technology now not even just podcasts but also like satellite radio obviously has plenty of sports content i mean there's even sports radio on tv now uh well there's been for a while but uh before we get to that just real quickly the sabers hired a coach today so i just wanted to get your opinion quickly about that do you i mean are you worried that the Manchester United job might come open and he'll leave? <laughs> not really. Okay. I've not heard the guy yet. I know he's just speaking at this hour, and I'm not listening to it. 
Uh, I've not heard him yet explain his thinking, and I'm eager to do that. I mean, it's not really, it's not shocking or anything that someone of his stature or him personally would do this. I don't think it's shocking. Um, but it's, you know, anybody would be curious, like, to not only hear him explain it coming from Southampton and just when he made the thought or had the thought that he was, you know, looking for something new. But, um, you know, just sort of hear him talk about what his plans are for the future here. Like, it's a really interesting guy. I was expecting the worst from the Sabres, and I really don't think that um, anybody deserves blame for doing that at this point. And they did well. And, you know, there's also a connection with – I mean, I, I would say they did well. You, know, you can't predict these things almost at all. Um, there, there's a connection with Kruger and Jason Botterill's family. I just found out today that – Botterill's father was his fifth grade teacher. Oh, so um, now I'm thinking about like right. one of my son's teachers, right? You know, basically, uh, working for him someday or something. Do you think that as much as anyone, Botterill's on the line with this hiring in the sense that if this doesn't work, he's probably not hiring the next coach? Um, that tends to be how it goes. I mean, he, he had some credibility. I thought he was a credible idea when being hired, but if, if your team is just terrible for years, that's just almost inevitable. Right. <laughs> so um, I, I think that that's, that's probably right. There's been a cycle here where guys have gotten two years. I mean, less than that would really be unusual. And so maybe in two years, we would have the first chance of, you know, realistically of something new, but of course, hopefully um, we're not at that point then. One more thing on this, and we'll move on to the task at hand. But I wanted to ask you a radio question about this because I was thinking about it last night, knowing I'd have you today. So last night, this news comes down around 10 o'clock or so. And um, when you hear the news, what's the first thing you think about in terms of the show and what, how it changes your plans and how the day's going to go? I was kind of thinking in my head that you kind of probably had the Sabres hire coach show in your mind because you knew it was going to happen for a while now. But what kind of goes through your mind in terms of prepping for the show and how the show is going to look when you hear the news at 10 o'clock and between then and the next day at three when you go on? I think really the only thing that changes is guests. Okay. And whether we need to align something up with the Sabres or, I mean, we'd want to, so it's not just need, but whether that would, you know, be happening. And at the same time, if there's someone scheduled that we would need to rearrange, um, that, that's really it. I mean, they're just with this kind of thing with, in my mind, and this would not, this is debatable, but in my opinion, this is just a really hard thing to talk about intelligently. You can, you, you know, in terms of predicting how it will go, you, you can talk about um, the team and we'll do that. And we have been doing that all the time. I and mean, you can always find topics, but, I just don't know how you can really predict a coach. Especially one we know so I little about. Right? Yeah, well, it's just, I mean, there's so much randomness in the sport right. in, the, in the first place. And, you know, ask anybody that brings up a coach's system to tell you what they mean. I mean, they're almost never going to be able to do that in the same way that a, a football fan that wants to complain about play calling can almost never tell you one play that was actually called. I mean, it's just how it is. So there's really in terms of like, like fan interaction, there's almost nothing that goes through my mind in that way. Like we're, we're, Bulldog and I are just going to talk about it and Paul Hamilton will probably come on and maybe we'll have Kruger or maybe we'll have Jason Botterill and that'll probably be it. And the rest of it, you know, is just going to be like most days, whether they have hired the coach or they're about to, you know, you know, it's just not that is it, specifically your question. There's not that much that I'd have to figure out on, you know, the night before. Right. Is it a little bit of a different conversation because he's, he only has the one season in the NHL is a little bit more of an unknown than like, say if they hired like Tortorella or someone with like all this NHL experience probably changes the way the phone calls would go. Right. I'm thinking in my head, people would have stronger opinions, more to draw from where, I mean, what if I, if I was a caller, I like to think of myself as a pretty educated hockey fan, not the smartest, but not the dumbest in the area either. I don't even know what I'd say. Like, I hope it works out. I don't know. I don't know enough about him. Well, I got to be careful. I mean, usually I think people who call in are calling in because they want to object to something. And so 
with this guy, there are going to be those things. Um, and they're mostly probably superficial that he, that he ran a soccer team and that his Oilers in the one season weren't better. And that, you know, he was a student in Jason Botterill's father's class. Like those are, those are whiner line criticisms, right? right. Those are, those I, are, who is this guy? You know? I took the cheap shot right and, off the bat with soccer. I did it right away. I went right to it. Right. So I fell into the <laughs> trap. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, but Todd McClellan was interesting to the Sabres, we think. And every, you know, the reporters all lined up to tell you not only whether he was, wasn't, but that he would be good, a good choice. Like every, all those guys would have given all the, commensurate sort of credit to the Sabres for hiring an experienced coach, right? Hashtag in Todd McClellan. His best years were when he had no experience as a head coach. And then he got fired, ended up getting fired from the Oilers with Connor McDavid on the team. So those people, they don't know anything. They don't know anything. And if those guys don't, then I don't expect people who are calling us to, they, they might, but I'm certainly not, you know, expecting it or, you know, um, processing how to do the show be, uh, differently because of it. All right, very last thing. I keep thinking of stuff I want to ask you about this, but we got other business. So very last thing on this, and this is going to air much after your show, so you don't have to worry about tipping your hat or anything, but if it is Botterill today, what like, what are you most excited to ask him? Is it about who else they considered? Is it about, like, what What are you most interested to know from Botterill at the end of this kind of exhaustive search here that seemed to go on forever? I'm, I'm not sure yet. Okay. Um, there's there's two different there's two different answers to that. One is like if if he and I were friends, I could ask him who else he talked to. If I didn't know these answers already, I could ask him who else he talked to. I would ask him, you know, how those guys ranked in terms of their interest in him. I would ask him um, what exactly was ownership's level of uh, input and uh, participation in this process. I would ask him if he talked to any players about it and what they said. I would ask him all these questions that he will never answer on the air. Right. So in terms of what to ask him on the air, I don't know. I mean, I, I would, I'm sure in, if it happens by the time we talk to him, I'll be able to think of, of questions, but I don't think there's going to be much that he will say that will really mean a lot. I did hear him say earlier that he wanted that Skinner said he wanted to know who the coach was, which was interesting to me. I thought, um, I figured, yeah, that's that's true. I know, I, that's good. That, he, that that also was interesting to me. Um, like, but nobody knows where that stands, right? Like, Skinner wouldn't want to rule out any team, whether it's the Sabers or any other team, probably at least in terms of maxing out contractually. So um, it might be something you say to. <laughs> to keep the thing sort of alive. Uh, let me know Let me know what you do and get back to me, all right? Okay, good, thanks. I mean, who knows? Maybe <laughs> right. it's just that or maybe it's really important. I, I don't know the difference. Uh, just yes or no, he stays or doesn't? Your gut. Well, my guess would be he doesn't, but it's only a guess, and I'm not, I'm not confident right. uh, either way. Because I just think, and I've, I've thought this the whole time, like, I think it would be pretty, as these things go, I think it would be pretty easy to figure out what he gets paid. I mean, there are pretty easy comps, and right. you have Eichel Agreed. kind of at a ceiling, and then other guys in the league, you know, so that should mark Stone. Like, that should be pretty easy to do. And if, like, people were kind of saying all season, and I don't know who knows what they really knew, but that he was really into the idea, then it could have gotten done. You know, it could have gotten done March 1st. It could have gotten done at the 10-game winning streak, or, you know, just, but it didn't. So I feel like when a guy gets this far, he just goes to July 1st and maybe he goes, maybe Buffalo is the best option then anyway, but that would, it would, it would impress me if the Sabres were able to sign him um, between now and then, just like it would have impressed me if they were able to during the season. All right. The sportscasters are here with Mike show. And in case you're an out of towner, Mike hosts a daily Monday to Friday sports radio show, biggest station in Buffalo, WGR 550. He does afternoon drive, shows 3 to 7. He's got a partner, uh, the Bulldog, and they've done this show for years in Buffalo now. And it's a great listen, a great show. And I, I reached out to Mike as part of this podcast and pitched him the idea 
of just kind of talking to me a little bit about what it's like to host that show um, in the era of technology and content being in so many different places. So, Mike, let's start with just a real basic thing. How is hosting the show different or the same, if it's not different, now compared to when you guys started when there wasn't podcasts or on demand and all the other ways that we can get the sports radio type content. Mm-hmm. I don't know if um, it's different at all because of that, because of that reason. Like I don't think about um, any part of like what the show is or my control over it, so to speak, being, uh, being different because of that. I mean, it's obvious that there are, many more uh, options because there's so much more stuff people. And I'm one of them as a listener to all kinds of different technology, all kinds of different shows that um, it's obvious that there's so much more to pick from as long as you have that at your disposal. So I think maybe one thing that's happened, even though it's not like a conscious thing, really for me, it's just kind of maybe been how we've been shaped, so to speak, is that the show is almost entirely three things. Bill's talk, Sabre's talk, and nonsense, to call it something. Like, it's, it's personality is probably a better word for or it. Or, like, the show being about not, the show, kind of. Like it's you, not, well, or, or whatever, like yeah. rice pudding like mm-hmm. one day. I mean, it's, it's about anything. About song, life, drafts. You know? song drafts. Song drafts. Sure. Yeah. Anything that isn't those other two things, but also isn't the, the NBA or baseball or anything else that's, like, sports. So, I mean... For whatever, however it's evolved, that's kind of where we're at. And once in a while, I'll meet somebody or hear from somebody and say, why don't you talk about the NBA? And Bulldog put it one way when he was having this conversation with someone that he shared with me. He said, you know, you, you listen to a classic rock station and they play Led Zeppelin all the time or they play Pink Floyd all the time. And the Bills are our Zeppelin and the Sabres are our Pink Floyd. I mean, you do, as a listener, you do have so much more to pick from. In terms of our... um like ratings and, you know, essentially performance, it's still, I mean, at least as far as I know, uh, it's still really fundamentally us versus other radio stations. Like the radio ratings thing is still like the thing that measures us. So from that standpoint, really, like I, I don't really think about um, the, the massive amount of content that's out there, but I think, you know, it's, I definitely respect it. I definitely respect anybody's um, having those kind of choices. And I'm the kind of person that wants to make good choices, be it about this or a restaurant or anything that I'm consuming or buying. So there's a lot more competition. And I guess at at the end, that makes it, that makes our job harder. Um, But at least or to succeed at it harder. But I really don't think the, uh, the fact that that exists changes my thinking day to day very much. You mentioned ratings. I wanted to ask you this. I'm I'm probably unnecessarily fascinated by the Mike Francesa and Michael K kind of ratings battle in New York and the the snipping they get back and forth at each other. There's something entertaining about it, I guess. But are you glad that you don't have a direct, you know, sports competition like that? I guess there's other shows. Probably I don't know them, so that to me they're not relevant enough i guess to really call it a direct competition maybe i'm naive on that but like do you look at that in other cities and see how that's playing out and say wow i'm glad i'm in this market or do you sometimes say oh it'd be nice to be in that market to kind of be in that battle and have that competition and kind of see how i would fare in that i i guess i would say to give you an answer i would prefer not to have it just for a for personal reasons, because you got kids that got to go to college. (laughs) I'm sorry. I just don't like the kind of confrontation or the, the, um, whatever, like those things, those kind of things can get really dumb. They can get really even personal depending on who you're dealing with. Right. And I just rather not have any of all that. So, um, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't say, I definitely wouldn't say that I'd prefer to have that, but it can be beneficial. It can, you know, make you sharper, uh, it can make you work harder. It can also bring out more listeners who want to go back and forth or who want to listen to, you know, like get in the game, if you will. 
oh, it's, it's not like it's bad. It would be bad to have that, but I don't ever like wish for it. You talked a little bit. We were talking. Uh, I I threw it out. If anyone had any questions on Twitter, and someone did mention, you know, what about the show being a podcast? Whether it be separate content or just sort of uh, recreate, you know, repurposing the show as a podcast after the fact. And you you did mention that that's something that's in the works. Do you want to elaborate which way you meant on that? Um. Yes. Well, work asked me to do. A, like a one-on-one interview kind of format um, and start to get people like you start to book guests for that. And like, just sort of dabble in that back in the end of last year. And I did a couple of those, which I really enjoyed. I'm happy to do them. I just didn't really find, I, I didn't really get it going, I guess. Like, I, I don't know if um, it was probably up to me to do that. Okay. Uh, so I have had Kim Pagula was my first one. And she and I sat in the studio for an hour, one day, and recorded it like just you and I are doing. And that, um, that was good. And I talked to Nate Oates, the venue B coach, uh, like that. And that was also really good. I really liked, I really liked that format as a, as a listener too. Um, but that's kind of been it. And when it was originally put to me, the idea was, well, you could, you know, go down to the arena and talk to visiting hockey executives or whatever. And I, I don't know, I just never felt like, if I had your drive or um, maybe I would have been better at that or more, more up for that, at least to this point that could change. They could, you know, direct me in this way too. But um, that's, it's kind of just sitting there right now. This is a, this is just a sort of a thing that happens to me. Like I start a project and I don't always see it through, but I I, I do very much like doing those. And I also like talking, uh, you know, like this on other people's because, you know, that's always been interesting to me. Do you listen to podcasts? Once in a while. Okay. You know, I, I get most of I get most of what I want otherwise, but you know, if I'll hear about some a certain one that's like really either it could be the person, but it's probably more likely that it's the, the topic, then I will go to it. But um not on a regular basis. What do you think the future of your format is? Like when you look five years ahead to sports radio on terrestrial radio. Do you see anything different? Do you think it's going to be the way it's been for years now? Or what do you project when you look out if you do it all? Well, I'm, I'm certainly no like scholar or expert on this, but maybe we're at a point in a few years where listening in your car is the same, no matter what it's, what it's called. You know, like it, you can do that now. Like I can do that now too. Uh, get in the car when we're, when we're done and find my way to almost any audio content. Right. But you know, most people might not, if they're getting what they want, first of all, from the radio stations they're used to listening to, then they might not even think twice. And that's, you know, our job is to keep, you know, to sort of have people choose us and maybe not even think twice about it. Um, but it might become, I, I don't know. Like it might become easier to hone what it is you want to listen to, and people, as they get more used to that, may end up at, at that point. There's so much that it it also can seem overwhelming. I think to try to pick what you want, um, and that can be you know something like TuneIn Radio, where you have access to just all the all the radio stations. And how do I go about picking exactly which one? You know, some people don't want to bother, so. I'd like to think that we're still here and, you know, for years to come and it might just have a different name or it might just have, you know, you might have a different way of, of accessing it. I mean, we have lots of listeners who listen on an app or listen through radio.com or the stream or whatever. And they're not obviously uh, sitting with radios in their homes. So, um, you know, that, that part has changed already. And I think what our company intercom has, you know, is, is probably, uh, uh, striving for is for us to be there at the end of the day, no matter what, how, how you're accessing us. Let me get you out of here on this. And if I was better at this, I would have asked this two questions ago, um, but I screwed up. It should have been a follow up to the, uh, to the podcast question. Um, but it, it'll, it'll serve as a good goodbye too. Uh, I mentioned you're in a partnership with Bulldog. It's a great partnership. You guys have great chemistry. It's a good show. I love to listen to it when I'm in the car. 
at three to seven. And sometimes I'll even go to the app to listen to stuff because I want to hear your opinion on something. But as someone who's just in his career doing what he does, do you ever think about what it would be like to do your own thing? Do you, you know, if there's ever a day that the Mad Dog goes to Sirius and you're the Francesa alone on WFN, do you think about that? What would the show be like? How would I do? You know, do you, is, is that ever, anything that ever crosses your mind? I think you got the point. I don't think about it on a sort of permanent basis. No, like it's not a, it's not a goal per se. Um, I did that for a few years and I do that kind of show when Bulldog is not there, like Friday, you know, like that. I, I get enough of it that way. I, I almost never think I'd rather be alone. <laughs> so um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, re- I'm pretty relaxed about the whole thing and um happy to have him there. And so, no, it's not a goal, but this other podcast idea was a way for me to, to tap into that. I think it um, brings out different skills uh, when you're one-on-one or just, you know, monologuing like that. It's a, it's a kind of, it's a different kind of challenge, which I am happy to you know take on. And I think, I just feel like I get enough of that over the course of the year with sick days and vacations and everything to, uh, to satisfy me. So no, it's not really something that I want, you know, down the road or anything, but it could happen. Show and the Bulldog is uh, Monday through Friday from 3 to 7 on WGR 550 in Buffalo and WGR550.com. Wherever you may be, you can follow Mike on Twitter at ShopeTalk, S-C-H-O-P-P-T-A-L-K. Anything else you want to plug, Mike? No, I just always like talking to you, and I wish I had – I feel like every time we talk, I just don't have that many straight answers for you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just sort of I, – I, I, I'm honest, and I don't know. Like a lot of stuff, I just maybe – and this or you know what it's the uh, questions don't think bad questions about. if i had better questions straighter answers it's on me i'll take it on me no no, no. it's definitely not that you <laughs> talked to fred coleman uh he's tomorrow he's tomorrow yeah so he and i have talked once i don't think i ever met him but for the most part we were kind of going for the same job at espn we were both doing game night and like they would call me and I think in the beginning for him it was probably the same thing where they would call and see when we were available because somebody couldn't make it. It was Charlie Pierce for a while and we'd work with I'd work with Doug Brown. And then um I think Freddie just like they just went with him, which was fine. Like I was doing this job and you know, other part time stuff for them and it was fine. And um then by 2005, I just felt like I didn't really want to do any of it because I wasn't that interested in it. And that's no judgment. That was just how I felt at that time. So um, I feel a little bit connected to him, but that's interesting. You know, we just yeah. almost never, almost never talked. Yeah. I remember when you were doing both. Like I remember reading about how you were commuting back and forth from there. And I remember listening to you on there. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So I definitely remember that, like the era of it, but I didn't necessarily place yep. Freddie as one of the other guys there, but. You got to get a trumpet or something. Yeah, I, was... I, I, I think he was like sort of hired, maybe even hired for that job. I thought I was going to be hired by them, and then there were changes there, and it just sort of didn't happen. And um, then there was a there was a day in 2005 when I was hosting from Buffalo, and but I had maybe I've told you this story, but I had coworkers no. in another studio who were on WGR Live, and they were watching a Sabres game. And I was just like across the hall from them doing this national broadcast talking to that day. I talked to CC Sabathia and JJ Reddick. I remember that. Wow. And if I have it right, if I have it right, it's the day that Don Knotts died. But anyway, so I'm, I'm hosting this national show for three hours that Saturday, like a midday uh, or afternoon. And they're watching the Sabres game. I just remember during the breaks thinking I would rather be over there. I would just have, I, I would just have more fun over there with those guys. February twenty fourth, two thousand six. Might have been one of the last ones I did. That might have been the last one of the last ones I did. Yeah, February twenty fourth, two thousand six. So that was right in the when the Sabers were just so much fun, you know. So I could I could see that. Like, man, I got to watch. Jerry yeah, find Greer. out if, if find out if the day Don Knotts died was the same day as the Sabers won a, a, on a late Mike Greer goal in Philadelphia, and then that night there was one of those uh, Sabers. 
uh, charity nights. It was like a casino night or something. Oh yeah, those those are good. Let's see, Sabers, <laughs> Aces and Blades, Aces and Blades, two thousand six, two thousand seven. Schedule and results. Get down to February. Five oh six. Good radio here. Um, Steve. Yeah. Oh, oh five oh six. It was kind of late the year, the season before that. Oh yeah, you're Red right. Black. Yep, you're right. I'm saying six five or five four in Philly on an afternoon. Gotcha. Let me get this here. Here we go. Oh five oh six. Now I got the right season. Schedule and results. Get down to February. Yep, you got it. You're right. That's it. Yep, you're on. Yeah, that was the day. Yep, you're on it. That was the day where I just sort of thought I I just got married, and you know what? It's okay. I didn't. It's like you sort of go along your whole career and everything points up and you're supposed to want every next rung up. You're supposed to always want that. And like, that was the day where I'm like, you know what? I'm good. <laughs> I really, I'm, I'm good. So great story. That was it. Thank you so much for this, yeah. Mike. Can't wait for next time. We'll make sure it's not as long as it was this time. My pleasure. Thanks, Steve. Continued Th- success. Could have used a few pounds Tight pants, points, hollering out She was a black-haired beauty with big dark eyes And points all her own, sudden way up high I want to thank Mike Shope for being on the podcast today Give us sort of a local opinion On hosting a sports radio show in the age of the podcast Plus, we started off with 10 minutes or so on the Sabres head coach. Thanks to Mike Chope for being on the show. All right, let's get into some book club business because it's been an interesting week. So we said when we relaunched that we were looking for Bob Klapsich to talk about his Inside the Empire, the true power behind the New York Yankees book. This guy, he's, he's look at this guy said in email, and I have the email here, so I'm going to read what Bob said to me. Bob says, sure, Steve, this won't be a problem. Paul, my co-author, is already immersed in his next book project, so I will handle this podcast on my own. When were you trying to get this done by? That was April 25th, and since then, Bob Klapsich has not returned an email, has not returned a DM. He has disappeared off the planet, and to me, so has his book. Inside the Empire is dead to me. Thanks for nothing, Bob Klapsich. Uh, I mean, whatever. Thanks for nothing. In the meantime, the publisher, the publishing company emailed me and said, we have this other book, They Bleed Blue. Fernando Mania strikes season mayhem and the weirdest championship baseball has ever seen. The 1981 Los Angeles Dodgers by an author named Jason Turbo. And I'm really excited. I've read some of the book. He also wrote The Baseball Codes. It's a really cool book. And we already have a June date on the calendar uh, to talk to Jason. So, Let's pump this book up. If you're going to buy a baseball book this month, forget that Yankees trash. Let's read They Bleed Blue. Uh, Fernando Mania, Strike Season Mayhem, and the Weirdest Championship Baseball Has Ever Seen. The 1981 Los Angeles Dodgers. Kind of reminds me of a Jeff Perlman book, but not authored by Jeff Perlman. So I'm excited to read it, and I'm excited uh, to talk to Jason. And like I said, uh, Megan Wilson from the publishing company got a date set for me, and I really appreciate that. All right. Also, we're still trying to track down Blake J. Harris. I talked to Blake, uh, and he said that, uh, what was this, on 5-9, he said, let's do something this weekend. That was last weekend. That came and went. We'll track down Blake. I'm still not really worried about him. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get a date. His book is called The History of the Future, Oculus, Facebook, and the Revolution that Swept Virtual Reality. Uh, we'll get to Jake uh, Blake on that. So, They Bleed Blue, Jake, uh, Blake's book, Forget Inside the Empire, That's Dead to Us. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Freddie Coleman from ESPN Radio is going to join us. He's going to tell us more about the time that him and Mike were going for the same job. And uh, then he will also 
talk to us about hosting a sports radio show on national radio and the era of the podcast. I think it's a really great interview. You guys will love it. And then I'll be back on the other side with some plugs and one last thing. All right, our next guest has been with ESPN Radio since 2004. He's making his second appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Freddie Coleman. What's up, Freddie? How you doing, man? I am good, Steve. How's everything with you today, my friend? Oh, I'm doing great. It's been too long since we've had you on. Yeah, it's been more than a minute, but you know how Life 101 can take some days and have you lose time. So <laughs> anybody out there knows what I'm talking about. Like one second, you're looking at something or dealing with something, you blink your eyes, you're saying to yourself, Oh my goodness, what did the time go? Nothing like raising a child to illustrate that point, right? You look at them one day, they're <laughs> one. You look at them the next day, and they're not one anymore, right? Whatever age you yeah, are. Yeah. yeah, and as a parent of a 28-year-old, you're exactly <laughs> right on that one because I still think about where did that time go between when my daughter was born to the young woman that she is now. So I was talk. I recorded an interview. So... I, I reached out to you and I said, I want to do this podcast kind of about what it's like to host sports radio on terrestrial radio in the age of technology and podcasts and streaming and on demand and all the different ways consumers can consume an essentially similar product. And I said, in my head, I'm like, if I can get a national guy and a local guy, it'd be two different perspectives on kind of the same issue. It could be cool. See how it goes. So I interviewed yesterday Mike Shope, who does local sports talk in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. And we were, we were talking about all this stuff. We get to the end, and he's like, hey, did you interview Freddie yet? And I was like, no, I'm doing him tomorrow. And he's like, you know, I think that – he's like, you have to ask him about this, what his memory of this is. But he's like, I think around 2005, we were kind of going for the same job at ESPN Radio. Um, we, they were kind of bringing us both in, and, um, you know, he ended up getting it. And I ended up deciding I wanted to stay local. Uh largely because the Sabres were so hot in in that time. It's probably the best the Sabres were in the last 30 years since the French Connection. My dad was a kid. But um, what do you remember about that? Just because it was pretty interesting. I I mean, I, I didn't know. Do you remember anything about that or um, that time well, of I your cl- career? I, I clearly remember that because that's when game night was looking for somebody else. To join John Seibel, Chuck Wilson, and Doug Gottlieb, they had that position open where at that time game night was seven nights a week from seven to nights to one in the morning. And you have Chuck and Doug did Monday through Thursday, and John Seibel and I would do Friday through Saturday and Sunday. Sometimes we would overlap with our shows. So they ran a myriad of people in, including me and including Mike and a bunch of other guys. And also Amy Launch at that time, she was also campaigning for that spot as well. And it's really interesting because um, I've always had great respect for Mike and always loved the work that he was able to do. And so I, I knew what I was going up against and what kind of competition was going to be there for that spot. And it all comes down to somebody who hears something in one and not hear something in the other. And it just depends on how that was able to shake out for me and how that was able to shake out for him. But believe me, it wasn't a bloodbath. No one was trying to one-up anybody. You were just doing the best you could, right. being who you were and whatever the decision was going to be. I felt I was in a no-win, no-lose situation because if it didn't work out for me, I was doing it Monday through Friday in Albany, New York, having the time of my life. So to me, I never went into saying this is going to be the end-all, the be-all, because I felt that no matter what happened, at least I got a chance to experience that, have the opportunity, and if it didn't work out, I had Albany, New York to fall back, back on. You know, that's almost exactly what he said word for word. <laughs> it's funny. No no radio drama <laughs> here. It's like, that's almost exactly what he said. This is not exactly Francesa versus Russo here. This was uh, not that kind of uh, radio war. You know, I did have one question about it, though, which I should ask Tim, but I'm going to get a chance to ask you. When you're doing a show knowing that the the eye in the sky or whatever, maybe the ear in the sky in this case, is kind of looking and evaluating and thinking, how do you, how is that show compared to the the show after they say, all right, you're the guy, you know, like, how does your mentality change? How, how is it maybe a feeling in the gut that kind of goes away or like, what is it like when one day you're doing it and you know that it's an audition and that people are listening and then the next day they're saying, all right, it's yours. Go do your thing. Is it, is it a different feeling or I, I don't know. I'm trying to, trying to phrase this right, but just, I think you get the idea. Yeah, it's a good question. And my answer is it never changed for me because to be honest with you, Steve, no matter where I've been, whether it was locally, whether I was doing music radio and sports talk radio, nationally doing ESPN radio, 
I always wanted to be the best 100% Freddie Coleman I could be. And whatever somebody feels with that, whatever they were bringing to that, I was completely good with it. But I was going to be me no matter what, because I honestly believe that being myself and being who I was got me to that point. At least somebody thought about me to audition to see if I, if I could be good enough to have a full-time role at ESPN Radio. So I never thought about, okay, the minute that everything was signed, sealed, and delivered, that, okay, I made it. Uh-uh. If anything, I wanted to prove night after night that they did not make a mistake in choosing me over somebody else. But the main thing about that was I was going to be me because being me enabled me to get a chance to be in that position to audition for that spot for game night and then moving on from that standpoint as, as the years went along at ESPN Radio. So from my standpoint, and I can't speak for anybody else, but as far as I'm concerned, Steve, things didn't change the minute that I got the job full-time, the minute that I signed the contract with ESPN Radio because I said, if I change, why am I doing that? Then I'm going to make it look like as if I was fooling somebody just to get the job. No, I, I think if you do that, people can sense that and understand that, and then your credibility is shot. And I worked way too long to build up my credibility to have that thrown out the window, trying to be something else or someone else when I got the job full-time. That's interesting. It makes sense, though. I mean, it's athletes are like that, too, right? I mean, just because you get drafted second overall mm-hmm. doesn't mean you come into the NFL and you don't you know, keep doing that work in practice or whatever, right? So. I get it, but I, I do feel yeah, like there's... Because, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, because my theory has always been you can't con anybody once it's time to shine. Because whether you're an athlete, whether you're a celebrity, whatever that is, a radio personality, TV personality, you can't con anybody once it's time to put everything down and get ready to go and do your thing. Because the minute you think you can fool people, you may be able to get away with that for a little bit. But at a certain point, you're going to be exposed. Then what are you going to do? So... That's always been my mentality. When you go out there, either you can make plays or you can't. Either you can make shots or you can't. And either way, you've got to be able to go out there and do everything you can to be you to do those kind of things and not have the concern in terms of, okay, I've been fooling people this long. How long can I continue to do this and hope I don't get caught? You might be cut and you might look good in shorts, but when that bell rings, you better be able to take that uppercut from Tyson, right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's talk about let's talk about the task at hand because I'm interested, especially I'm interested in a few different things from a national perspective. Let's start with this. Let's start with hosting a national sports talk show in uh, 2019. How is it different than in 2005 when you and Mike were uh, at each other's throats going for that job? How how is how is it, how has it changed um, in those 15 years or so? Oh, two things. Number one, the competition more than ever before is going to be very, very strenuous, and it's never going to give up. It's always going to be unrelenting. I think about when I first got started back in 2004 at ESPN Radio, there was us and there was a couple other other formats or other national shows, but not really another national radio network. But now you got CBS Sports Radio. You also have NBC Sports Radio. Back when I first got started, it was just us and Fox Sports Radio. You also have Yahoo Sports Radio now, so more than ever before, the competition and competing for competing for ears and competing for attention is going to be more strange than ever before, which means that there's more competition, which I've never minded. But number two, and this is the most important thing, more than ever before, you have to have compelling content, and you have to have compelling content right away. People do not have time to waste because if they believe that you're not giving them what they're looking for or what they're hoping to achieve by listening to your program, they have many more options to go and find that, whether it's terrestrial radio, whether it's satellite radio, whether it's podcast, YouTube, whatever that is. So more than ever before, someone's going to give you that time. Within the first five to ten seconds, you better hook them in and hold on to them and make sure that they believe, man, if I don't listen to his or her show, I'm going to be missing something. Those are the two main differences, two main differences Excuse me, now in 2019 compared to the first got the national radio spot on ESPN Radio in 2004. Let's talk about time a little bit because I think time is what hurts the terrestrial radio format the most because as a listener, I know I like to look at the clock and if it's 400 or 5 if it's the top of the hour, that's when I love to tune in because I know you got that first meaty 20 minutes or so nice uninterrupted segment right off the top of the hour. As it gets later in the hour, the segments get shorter, the commercials get longer. And this might be perception more than reality because I've never timed it it's just how i feel as a consumer of the uh, of the product how does the way the that 
the show has to be structured due to commercials and, and, and spots and ads and things like that. How does that affect how you plan for the show and how you uh, try to structure your interviews or your takes or the content that you want to feature the most or the least? I always talk about in terms of five minutes because if you hook people in for five minutes, then it can lead to six minutes, then the seven minutes, then the eight minutes. So no matter how long or how short the segments are, I always believe that you got to make sure there's at least five minutes in a segment. And if there are five minutes in a segment, then you can trampoline off of that. That is something that's always going to be central to any time I align a show, how we structure a show, or how we put stuff together. And we never look at it that meaty things have to be at the top or the bottom of the hour because people are tuning in and out, in and out all the time. So you better make sure you have meat on that bone no matter what that is, no matter what you're talking about, no matter what you're very strong about, no matter what your perception is. So I've always thought about that from that standpoint of anybody that's listening is tuning in at any given time, especially the night, the nights that I work from nine at night to one in the morning Eastern time. I know that people are going to be transient because they're probably traveling or they have second shift jobs and everything like that. So there's always going to be a lot of in and out listening. Whatever they are, are going to listen to us, I want to make sure there's more than enough meat there where I don't want them to feel that, okay, there's nothing really there. I need to find somebody else. So I never look at it in terms of how long a segment is, how short it is. The minute that I'm able to hook people, I always want to keep them for that five minutes because I believe if I can do that, then I can keep them from another five minutes and then another seven minutes. And then we keep trampolining on and on from that standpoint. And then you get that TSL and AQH, the, the average quarter hour listening, that is so, so critical for any kind of radio station or radio DJ success. Is there anything about the podcast format that makes you a little jealous? Like when you listen to a podcast, you, when you hear something that you know you just couldn't do in terrestrial radio that makes you say, oh, man, it'd be nice. I know I can't do it in that, but, man, that'd be nice. Uh, no, I like the variety that's always going to be out there, no matter what kind of podcast it is. And I listen to a lot of podcasts that are not sports-centric because I like, I'm like. i a very curious person by nature anyway, Steve, so I don't mind listening to entertainment podcasts or music podcasts or political podcasts or even self-help podcasts. I always like listening to get different perspectives and find what people are talking about and how they feel or what they're thinking about it. So I never have a jealousy bone or green-eyed envy when it comes to what podcasts are able to do because they're able to do some things in the podcast that, that we can't do. We're also able to do some things with ESPN Radio that they can't do as a podcast. So it depends on what you're looking for and how you're going to go about it. But in terms of being jealous of them, what they're doing, no. I applaud what they're able to do because that's something that I can't do. That's when I believe, okay, they're able to do that, but if I'm able to try here, maybe I can do it a different way. So there's always a way to make that work for you and not to worry about being envious or jealous about somebody doing something that you may not be able to get away with on national radio. Yeah, jealous is probably a poor choice of words because it does come off as like really strong. Um, let me ask you this about interviews because I, I really enjoy your interviews and you get great probably as a, you know, a product of being on ESPN, a product of your reputation – um, you really do get great spots on your show, and I love and a great place to follow, follow Freddie on Twitter because he always posts, you know, who he's going to have, when he's going to have them. It's, it's a great way to hear his interviews. But we've done what fifteen minutes now. We can do fifteen more. We can do thirty more. We can go as long as we both want to go. And I know, you know, you have a certain window where you need to get in. You need to ask the most important questions. Get out. No dilly dallying. Does it help you be more concise and more direct and create better interviews? Or do you often find yourself saying, man, wish I had five more minutes or 10 more minutes or whatever? What about interviewing and fitting the interviews in and, and the time restraints on terrestrial radio? It, it's funny you mention that because we always talk about that if an interviewer is really good, if the content is always compelling, if the person is compelling, the average listener doesn't think about, okay, this has gone under 10 minutes or 15 minutes. They always think about, like, man, that's really compelling. I really love what that person had to say. Sometimes it can be about a five-minute deal. Sometimes it can be a 10-minute deal. But whatever that is, if somebody is really engaging, I believe the average listener out there does not worry about a time constraint. They don't worry about what time and how long the interview has gone. But I've also been a big believer that you can always leave people wanting more about somebody. That has never been a bad thing. So if we have somebody for nine minutes and somebody says, man, I would love for that gone for another 10 to 15 minutes, that's not an issue because you never know you can bring that person back and continue to have that kind of a part two interview. 
But if something is so good, sometimes you just carry it over to the next segment right. and keep that person there. And even if they go another six minutes, no one's going to say, oh, man, they had that person on for 15 minutes. They're going to say, man, that person was so good. I'm glad they kept them on, but they're not looking at the clock. So I think it always depends on who you're talking to, what you're getting out of them, how engaging that is. And then you make that adjustment on the fly when you have to. Do you ever pre-record an interview and then just not even worry about the time and then maybe cut it up and present it in segments like that? Oh, yeah, we've done that before. Yeah. I'll never forget the one that the, one of the pre-recorded interviews we had, we had with Venus Williams. And her, her people told us that, you know, she can only do this for about a certain amount of time. I said, hey, it's Venus Williams. I don't care if I only had to ask her one question. Right. I was going to be fine. Yeah. But the, but the interview was so good that she didn't mind staying on. And she was very effusive. And she's very intelligent and very sharp about so many different things that we wound up splitting that interview into two pieces where we had seven and a half minutes on one side. And then we had eight and a half minutes on the other side. And even her publicist at the time said, boy, that was pretty cool. I was engaged listening to it. I didn't even look at the clock. So we have had those instances happen. They're very rare when they happen. But when they do happen, and it's really magic, and you have somebody that's an icon in sports like that, only good is going to come out of that sphere as far as I'm concerned. So I don't mind splitting up interviews if something is so good where we can carry that over. Because if it's really good, people are going to stay with you through the commercial to hear exactly what they have to say on the other side. Absolutely. I, not, it's very satisfying, too, as a host. I know I'm sure you, you would agree when you, you have a certain amount of time and you're starting to wind down and they're like, let's just keep going. You know, let's do this. That, you know, that's when you know, like you, you really did. You know, you got some. It happened with me with Artie Lang, actually, which is really random. I had, I think, five minutes and we went 12 and he, he was really nice. It was cool. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is something I really was really wanted to ask you. What advantage do you have being live? Like. I was thinking about you last night because I was thinking about doing this. I'm watching the hockey game, and the Blues, you know, get screwed over. The Sharks get a great break, whatever way you want to look at it. I'm thinking, wow, what a great time to be on the air live. You know what I mean? Like, that's a huge advantage because I could talk about it for 20 minutes today, but I'm probably not putting up this up till Friday, and people moved on by Friday, right? So... Talk about the advantages you have to being live and being live on ESPN Radio, how that kind of helps your show. It's always been a godsend because people have always asked me, do I not want to do nights or do I want to do something earlier? And Steve, to be honest with you, I'm so used to doing this and being in the middle of stuff that not saying I couldn't do an earlier show that reacts well after the fact, but it's just so much more exciting and to me so much better when something is going on in that minute you have to decipher that information really quickly, make it compelling and make it engaging to people and go out there and then you start spitting and making that work. You mentioned the Blues and Sharks last night. It was really cool talking about that and having that first reaction, having everybody be talking about the next day, but we were already there on top of it. Or what the atmosphere was in Milwaukee last night between the Bucks and Raptors in game one. I've been so used to doing it that way at ESPN Radio that I always love that. I love having, I love, I call it waking up with the house on fire. That's what it really is because you don't have to worry about looking for an exit or for an escape, but you're just trying to find a way to make sure you find your base, no matter all that's going around you in that cauldron. And that's something that I've always been able to sink my teeth into and have a handle on. And it goes back to my days when I did the NFL shows on ESPN radio or doing the college football, doing college football game shows, the radio shows at the college football games at Mel Kiper Jr. on Saturdays. Anytime something big was going on, it was always cool that we were the first people that be the ones to react to that. And then everybody's following out every word when it comes to stuff like that. So having those things happen and you're right there with it, especially if something special happens or something tragic happens and you're the first person that's reacting to it and people are hearing it as it's going on at that moment. To me, it doesn't beat that. That's why I really enjoy the spot that I've been able to work in at ESPN Radio doing those night shows and getting that first reaction long for anybody else can react to that the next day. Yeah. I mean, I think about, you know, John Lennon, when he passed away, one of the moments you think about is, mm-hmm. is, um, Howard Cosell on Monday night football, uh, you know, breaking the news to the, to the nation. It wouldn't be quite the same if it was Howard Cosell the next week talking about John Lennon dying the week before. I don't think it would have the historical impact that it does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, so I remember. My, I remember. I remember Muhammad Ali passed away, and we were on the air when that happened. And I was supposed to be off the air at two o'clock in the morning, 
And we all said, there's no way I can get up there at 2 o'clock in the morning because here's somebody that is a world figure. And we were the first ones to report that he had passed away. And just hearing the reactions from people calling into the show that night and then having a band of Holyfield on to talk about what Muhammad Ali meant to him, those are the kind of moments, even in a tragic situation like that, the passing of an icon like that, where you say to yourself, man, I'm really glad that we know what we're doing and how to go about it to make sure that this was going to be what people expect and maybe give them what they could not have expected when you have something like that happening during your show. One of the last times you were on, we talked about preparation, how important it was to be prepared. But as we're talking, I'm thinking about another word a little bit, and that's flexibility. In your spot, you really have to be flexible within that preparation, right, to be able to pivot whatever way you need to pivot, whether it's reacting to the NBA game or the NHL game or to an athlete, an icon passing away like you had to that night with Muhammad Ali. Is flexibility almost as important as preparation? Oh, there's absolutely no doubt about that, Steve. We have, I have three words with my show. You do it fluid because you just never know what's going to happen, and you have to be ready to do it when the fluid situation comes up. And those things are always going to come up when you do a show at night when games are going on and other events are going on. And you have to be prepared that something's going to happen that throws your whole show out the way. And that becomes the most important thing. you got to keep talking about it and find different ways to talk about it, find different branches, different layers to talk about it. And that's really the cool part and the fun part when something like that happens, where I love when sometimes you're not prepared for something and then you have to get prepared in a short amount of time and look up as much as you possibly can to make sure you have all the information available. Those are the really cool moments that you say to yourself, okay, we really able to really knock that out the park and get that done. So certain people can't do that. I, friends of mine who work in the business say, boy, if that happened to me, I would just completely, completely freak out. But with me, that's the last thing I do. If anything, I find a certain serenity and say, okay, we have this. We're going to roll with this. We're going to get people's reaction to it, my reaction to it, and it's all going to come together in the best way possible. Those kind of things kind of center me more than taking me on the freak-out mode when those things happen. It's at Coleman ESPN on Twitter. You can follow Freddie there and, of course, listen to him every night on ESPN Radio. Uh, 9 to 2, I think, are the times. Is that correct? 9 to 1, 9 to 2? 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. 9 p.m. to 1 a.m., right. Uh, And you can listen to ESPN Mm -hmm. Radio um, on the ESPN app, and you can also listen to it on Sirius XM, and you can listen to it, of course, Trash Drill Radio as well with the affiliates across the country. Uh, Let me get you out of here kind of on this. When you project 5 to 10 years down the road, where do you see radio in general? When you think about what you do now, how do you think it'll be the same or different in five years, let's say? Steve, it's always going to be different because radio is always evolving, whether it's terrestrial radio, satellite radio, local, regional. Radio is always going to flow with the times, and there are going to be times where people want to listen to something else. And there are going to be plenty of times where they're going to be holding on the edge of their seats listening to radio. So radio has always had people throw a death knell at it, and yet it just keeps raising its head like a leviathan out of the water. So I never say to myself that radio is going to totally, totally go away. There's always going to be a need that people get in their cars and the first thing they do is flip on the radio. Or when they get to the house, say, Alexa, put on ESPN radio. Alexa, put on Howard Stern, whatever that is. There's always going to be a need for that human element. There's always going to be a need for that human interaction. And radio has done a really fantastic job of evolving with the times because you have to. You either, you either adjust, adapt, or you're going to perish. And Raiders done a really good job not being thrown into a coffin and staying there. So in five to ten years, no matter what radio is going to be, it's going to be because it's going to continue to adapt. And the people in charge of radio that work in radio have to adapt as well. So don't worry about radio ever going away. It's always going to be a fabric of everybody's life. It may not be as big as it used to be, but it's not going to be it's not going to be totally at a ground zero moment, no matter how long radio goes on, whether it's five, ten, a hundred years from now. As long as there's going to be cars, there's going to be radios, I think. You know what I mean? Like, if you get in a car, the first thing you look for yep. is the radio. So, Freddie, this has been great. Thank you so much mm-hmm. for doing no this and, and being honest. Is there anything else you wanted to plug? No, I think we did that pretty well. I said, how are you as my agent? Let's put it that way. When it comes <laughs> to what I've been able to do in 15 years at ESPN Radio with this show that I'm able to do with Ian Fitzsimmons, Freddie and Fitzsimmons, Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. to 1 a.m., like you mentioned, the ESPN Radio affiliates and Sirius XM Channel 80. Thank you so much, buddy. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Steve.
I want to thank Freddie Coleman for being on the podcast today, and I also have to thank Mike Shope for doing that. Next week, Will Leach is on the program. I already have that one recorded, and hopefully we're going to hook up with Katie Baker as well. Uh, don't forget you can find this episode and all episodes of the Sportscasters on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash sports-casters. Uh, you can also go to Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and wherever podcast catchers are catching podcasts. You can find me on Twitter at sports underscore casters or email me the sportscasters at gmail.com. Want to give a shout out to my friend from Greetings from Allentown, Peter Winson. He has a new podcast out, 1984 WWF, uh, at GF Allentown Pod on Twitter. Also, congratulations to him and the Boston Bruins on making it to the Stanley Cup final. And Peter and I host a podcast called the Adams Division Podcast. And since the Bruins have made the Stanley Cup, we are going to be recording next week a podcast where we rank our top favorite teams by year. So, like, for example... It's not just your favorite team, but the specific year of that team. So my number one might be the 1993 New Orleans Saints, but probably not. Or maybe it's the 2018 Buffalo Sabres, but probably not. And we'd love to see your list. So you can get me a list of your 10 favorite sports teams with the year included. Specifically, tweet us at sports underscore casters or at GF Allentown Pod. That will be out sometime next week. Uh, My friend Adrian Dater. I want to congratulate him on another strong year of covering the Avalanche. Uh, Dater announced on Twitter this week he's no longer with BSN Denver, so they're dead to me. Uh, follow at a Dater on Twitter for more information about Adrian's next move. Don't forget the Place to Be Nation podcast. That was on episode 513 and 518, and I'm going to be on again in a couple of weeks to talk about 1989 WWF House Show at Madison Square Garden. Uh, at P number two BN on Twitter, place to be nation.com for more information. They have a, uh, 80 song draft coming up. There's a playlist on every Friday. They release lots of great stuff there. Justin and Scott are great place to be nation.com. All right. One last thing today. Last week was a little bit heavy. Uh, we talked about my sickness. Then we talked about a love note to mothers and it all got a little heavy. Like I said, so I wanted to do something. A little bit more fun this week. And since uh, the day after this posts uh, is will be Sunday. And it will also be the day of the last ever Game of Thrones. Now, I started watching Game of Thrones maybe when they were about five seasons in. And I was getting these injections uh, called Remicade. And I would have to go and they'd take two or three hours to do. So I... Needed a show to get through that, and I was I chose Game of Thrones, and I was really enjoying season one. And then there's this like one part where the mother of dragons decides to walk into fire, and my assumption at the time was, oh man, the mother of dragons is dead. That's too bad. And then she kind of comes through the other side, and she's not dead. And to me, the whole show just changed. Then when they enter, when they created this other world where there's this magic and people are coming back from the dead, and I didn't like it as much, but I kind of stuck with it. And I'll say this. There's no show in the world that makes me feel dumber than Game of Thrones. I don't know anyone's name. I don't know what anyone's trying to say. It's one of these shows where when they talk, it's real quiet. But when there's music playing, it's real loud. You never can get the volume right on the TV. They shot one of the most important scenes ever completely in the dark. I couldn't see one thing on the screen. I don't. I never know who's dead. After that, that show that they just did, and by the way, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Game of Thrones, I guess don't listen to this. Goodbye. I'll see you next week with Will Leach. But it's unbelievable to me. The one person I thought for sure was dead was that one big girl. I think her name's Bri- Brianna or Brianna. I don't know. But she was knighted the week before. She was the one person I was sure had died in that episode. And the next week, she's not dead. I never know what is going on. I don't know what the fuck they're saying. They talk some, like, off-brand of English. I can never see, like, it's so frustrating. I don't know anyone's name. I don't know what side people are on. You know, I know, like, about eight people, and there's a thousand. I remember when Bill Simmons was with HBO, and they had that after show on. And they're, they're going through the episode. And the girl's like, do you remember in season three when they're in the forest and these three guys walk by? 
And I'm just like, no, I don't remember that. I have no clue what's going on in this show. How have I watched every episode of this show and I know nothing? I don't, I don't know their names. Why didn't they? Why couldn't they have just named people Joe and Ed and Bill? What are these names they came up with? I don't know these names. I can't remember them. What's the little guy's name? I don't know, Tyrant or something. To me, he's just the little guy on there, Peter Dinklage. The guy from Elf who gets pissed off. I don't know. I don't know their names. This show, I thought I was a smart guy until I started watching Game of Thrones. Now I realize I'm a fucking idiot. It's the most frustrating hour of television every week. And it's signing off tomorrow. It's ending its run. And I got to be honest, I'm not going to miss it. I know a lot of people think it's like the greatest show of all time. It's not in the top 20 for me. I mean, it's just not. They created a good world, and they told a decent story, but it got away from itself. Now, I'm not one of these 500,000 idiots online who are starting a petition to, like, redo the season eight. I mean, that's absurd. You take what you get with a television show. Come on, people. It doesn't have to be what you want all the time. Now, if I was going to start a petition, it'd be to rename all these people, shoot it in the light, and talk English that I can understand. Because you make me feel like a goddamn idiot. That's not fair. I'm smarter than this. You guys have a good week. I'll see you next week with Will Leach and hopefully Katie Baker.